life. You know, sometimes life takes some incredibly dramatic turns, doesn't it? You're going this way, and all of a sudden, wham, it goes that way. Kind of makes your head spin. Um, yet in a very short period of time, sometimes in just a moment of time, you can go from being on top of the world, everything's going great, uh, to being kind of in what we call the depths of despair. Where you're saying, I can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel. And like, and like any of you who've lived any amount of time, sometimes when you're young you go, life is just easy and it's great. But put a few years on, walk a few miles, and you'll find out everybody's life has situations that they didn't plan on. And times where you, where you take these dramatic turns. And, and like anybody who's walked a few years, I've walked through a few of those in my life. And this, this week I was talking to Suzanne about this, and, and we were talking about one of those events in our life that that happened. Not so many years ago, um, we were coming home from a family vacation. And um, one of the things that we've tried to make as a, as a tradition, because we value family, um, is we try, not just our, us four, you know, me and Suzanne and Josh and Brett, but our extended family. So we try to spend time with mom and dad, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews. And so what we try to do um, every year, or at least every other year, is we, we rent cottages in northern Wisconsin, and uh, we go to a place that fishing is great. Generally, we try to time it. You know, you, some, some people time it when it's going to be the warmest. We time it when the bluegills are on the beds so that you can catch them with your fly rods, <laughs> you know. And uh, we time it. It's all based on fishing. And so um, we take vacation, and, and uh, this year we, we were up there. We were rented cottages on a lake. We had a great week, caught a whole bunch of fish. Most of all, just played a bunch of cards, had a bunch of fun, ate a bunch of food, and ate a bunch of food and ate a bunch of food, and we all take turns, we all have to have our specialty meal, so like Suzanne and I have to have some specialty meal, my brother and his wife, and my parents, and then we make this thing, and the ladies don't do the cleaning, we all clean, we all do dishes, we all cook, so that they don't go on vacation and say, this is no vacation, this is just like every day for me, and so we really work hard at that, but we had a great week, and uh, we caught a bunch of fish, and so our coolers were full, and, and we left the vacation, northern Wisconsin and we're kind of we, we packed up our our vehicles and all of our trucks and minivans everyone pulling a boat and we're we're heading out of heading out of the resort and we leave the resort area and uh, we come to the first real city see one of the things that's a criteria for me for a good vacation is it has to be out of cell range because you're around me at all my cell phone never stops ringing and so um, we're in a place where there's no cell reception <laughs> like, hallelujah, you know. But we hit the first city, and my cell phone, you know, beep, 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 beep for all the messages. And I'm driving, and Suzanne grabs the phone, and she's listening to messages. And it didn't take an intuitive person to figure out that something was wrong. Because Suzanne's got this look on her face. And you know the situation when you're married where you keep saying, what, what, what? And they don't, they go, and you're like, no, no, none of this. What is going on? You know, and she's doing this number. Shut up! You know, I'm listening and she's panicked. And we stopped the car and she tells me, with all the cars behind us, all the family members, she said, these really good friends of ours, that we used to vacation together, you know, I'd, you know, baptize their kids, all this stuff. Their 16-year-old daughter had been killed in a car accident right in front of the youth group of the church that we had pastored. We weren't pastoring that church anymore. The youth group was having a volleyball time of thing at church, and actually at the, at the youth pastor's house who lived just down the road from the church, and they were going to play volleyball. They're having a big outing, and so 
this girl, good friends of ours, and um, her boyfriend said, oh, we'll get there was a ball or a net or something from the church. And they said, we'll just run down the road. And they ran down the road in their car. It was just like a quarter mile. Picked up their stuff, came running back. They were parked or sitting on the highway to turn in the driveway. And a, lady, a girl was driving her car, reaching down to grab a cassette on the floor and rear-ended them at like 60 miles an hour, pushed them into another car going 60 miles an hour, killed her, killed the driver of the other car, and uh, it was just horrific. And so we get to this town, and the phone's beeping, and it's the pastor that had followed us and other people from the church saying, you need to get to Marquette, Michigan right now. And so we tell our families, listen, we gotta, we got to change plans. I'm supposed to get back. I've been on vacation. I'm supposed to get back to the church I was currently pastoring but we got to go. And so we told our family, and they all headed south. That was, you know, kept going in, down here. And, and we turned and went back to Marquette. And we went back there not knowing, you know, what we were really going to do, but um, ended up staying, lived, staying in their basement, us and the boys. They you know, stayed, stayed down there, just ministered to the family, cooked meals for them, took care of them, and then eventually uh, performed the, the funeral service for this girl. As a matter of fact, it was really, really neat because inside my Bible that I used every day, and I still have it, was a post-it note from my last day at that church that that girl named Beth had put in a post-it note on my desk and said, Pastor Mark, I love you. Or Mark and Suzanne, I love you. You know, I'm going to miss you so much. And that was inside the cover of my Bible. You know, and uh, just it was a miraculous service. Something that was amazing. I got to preach the funeral because it was a divorce situation and... and uh, the girl's dad was a very active Roman Catholic and the mom was a very active evangelical Pentecostal. And um, I was the only person ever probably, I got to preach the funeral service in the largest Catholic church in the Upper Peninsula, a huge church. And I was able to do it, which is completely unacceptable. They won't let it, you know. And they let me preach the message. And it was phenomenal. There was, it was packed with all the people because they're 16-year-old girls. And literally, dozens and dozens and dozens of dozens of people gave their heart to Christ as a result of Beth, Beth's passing. But anyways, you know, um, we went in that one moment, we went from the mountaintop to the valley in just one second. And if you've lived any amount of days, you've had events like that happen in your life where life takes a dramatic turn. And what I found about life, and I believe that this is God's intention, I'm not saying God causes, He doesn't cause them, but He utilizes these kinds of times in our lives. And what I found is these intersections of life are supposed to cause us to ask the most important questions of life. They're, they're supposed to make us ask the things that are most important because all of a sudden we have incredible clarity and the unimportant things fall away. You know, suddenly fishing for bluegills meant nothing. Nothing. It never entered our mind, oh, we can't go there. The bluegills in the cooler might spoil. It never entered our minds. It didn't enter the mind that we had stuff to do when we got home. It was, this is all that matters right now. And that's what we're going to find today when we go to the section of scripture we're going to look at today, one of these, these intersections of life, one of these, these dramatic turns in the life of the Bible character, and we're going to look at a Bible character today, and I want you to put yourself in his shoes as we, as we look at this today. Because we're going to talk about Peter, the Apostle Peter. And we're going to find that he has one of these roller coaster days. 
that life takes this incredibly dramatic turn from the mountaintop to the valley in just a moment of time. And what happens with it is that Jesus seizes the opportunity of this dramatic turn in Peter's life to ask Peter, and I think us, the most important questions of life. Everything else kind of slips away and he asks them the most important things. It clarifies what's really most important. And I want us to read about that today in the life of Peter. So grab your Bible and turn to the book of Mark with me. Mark chapter 8. We're going to start backing up to where we ended last week. We're going to reread part of it, what we read last week in the Gospel of Mark. And then we're going to go on to the next section of stories. And and you're going to see this roller coaster day in Peter's life. We're going to talk about that. Starting in verse 27 in chapter 8. It's Peter's confession of faith. It says, Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he questioned his disciples saying to them, Who do people say that I am? And they told him saying, John the Baptist and others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. And he continued by, answer, by, by questioning them. But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ, or the Messiah. And then the Gospel of Mark adds this. I told you this last week. The Gospel of Mark adds this to it right there. It says, And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And then in verse 31, back in the Gospel of Mark, it says that he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he, meaning Jesus, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. And he summoned the crowd and his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father and the holy angels. We'll stop right there. In the first moment that we find Peter, he's being praised by Jesus. He's being celebrated by Jesus. He's being basically patted on the back. And the reason he's patting him on the back is because he's saying, you have grasped the revelation from God that... Jesus is the Christ, that He's the Messiah. And, and he says something beyond that, that we read from the Gospel of Mark, and he said, he said, you know what, Peter, you get it. This confession of faith, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You've said it right. You understand the revelation of God. And he says, you know what, Peter, upon that confession, upon the fact that you understand who I am, he said, I'm going to build my church in that confession. See, Jesus says to him like this, he says, you are, he said, first of all, he, starts, he calls him Simon Barjona. That's his name. 
But then he says, remember earlier in the scriptures, he changed his name to Peter. Peter means little stone. He says to him, you are Peter. You are this little stone. And he says, and upon the rock, this big stone, of this statement you've made, the rock of your confession of faith, of you understanding the revelation from God himself that Jesus is the Christ. Upon this foundation, upon this rock, you little stone, on this huge rock, this confession of faith, I'm going to build my church. He says, Peter, you get it. And guess what's happening at that moment? Peter's flying high. Peter, you know, he's given everything to follow after Jesus. Jesus singles him out and says, you get it, buddy. And based upon what you say, I'm going to build my church. And the Messiah himself, who Peter gets that Jesus is, I just said it. The Messiah, the promised one, is praising him. And then the very next second, after Jesus praises them, Jesus starts and he's, he just maybe takes a breath and he just begins then to explain the path that's going to happen in the next couple of days. What's going to happen in the next days and weeks? He begins to say the path ahead for what his life is going to look like, Jesus' life. And he says this, that the Messiah, Jesus himself, the deliverer of Israel and all humanity, that he's going to suffer. He says he would be rejected by the religious leaders, and he would be killed, and after three days, he would rise again. And it says something interesting in the text. I hope you you you, you noticed it when I read it. You didn't pass it over. It says, and Jesus said it plainly. He says he just said it the way it is. He said, the word is said it very plainly. It's not hidden at all. Why do he say that? Because he's not saying it in parables this time. Remember all through the gospel, he's been telling parables and the people go, what are you talking about? And he takes the disciples aside and he goes, well, they don't get it, but I'm going to tell you what it means. No parables this time. He just plainly lays it out. And what do we find about Peter? He didn't like what he heard. He did not like what he was hearing from Jesus. You see, Peter had an idea of what he thought was going to happen with the trajectory of Jesus as the Messiah. He thought Jesus would continue to rise in popularity, continue to rise in power, and with the strength of God himself, like Moses, because he thought he was the next Moses, he would overthrow Roman control and he would regather God's people that had been scattered to the four corners of the world, and he'd make Jerusalem and Palestine the center of the world, and established this perfect reign of God, with Israel being the center, the people of God. See, that's what all the Jews believed would happen when the Messiah family finally came. That Jesus would rule, and get this, and his followers would rise to power with him. That's what Peter thought was going to happen. He'd been walking with him for three years now. That's what he absolutely in his heart believed would happen. That Jesus would rise to power as the Messiah, and as his rule rose that his followers would be lifted up and rise to power with him. And that's certainly what the disciples believed was going to happen. Because one day, just a little while earlier, Jesus had a conversation with the mother of James and John, two other disciples, and she came to him. Remember the day she came to him? And she asked, she pleaded, for, pleaded their case and said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, I'm asking you a favor. Would you let one of my boys sit on your right hand and the other boy sit on your left hand? In other words, when you're king and on the throne, will one sit on your right and one sit on your left in positions of power? You see, they expected him to be a political ruler and they expected to rise in power and influence with him. They had done something that leaders of the world today, business leaders say, you have to do to increase in your effectiveness. They had given up to go up. 
You ever hear that? Read leadership books. John Maxwell, different guys. That's a, that's a principle of leadership. You've got to give up to go up. They understood it. They had given up to go up. They had walked away from everything. They had walked away from family. They had walked away from friends. They had walked away from businesses. They had walked away from what they would have viewed as normal life to follow after Jesus. And you know what? They expected to be part of his new regime. But all of a sudden, Jesus on this day starts talking plainly. And he talks about suffering. And he talks about dying. And he talks about carrying their own cross. You know, which is a reference to personal sacrifice. He starts talking about downward mobility instead of upward mobility. And they're scratching their heads. So Peter does maybe one of the most amazing things that ever happens from a follower of Christ in all the Bible. Peter takes Jesus aside, it says, and what's it say he does to him? He rebukes Jesus. He basically says this in our vernacular of the day. He would basically say this. Jesus, stop talking like a fool. You're not going to die. You're not going to fail. You are going to rise and conquer and be the leader, and I'm coming with you. I'm riding on your shirt tails. I'm all in with you, Jesus. You're not going down. You're going up. You see, Peter had no concept that Scripture taught that the Messiah would be a suffering servant, that he would rise to greatness through suffering. I didn't get that. That in his suffering, he would take upon himself the suffering of the world for the sins of humanity. None of them understood that. So Peter rebukes Jesus. And I think the reason he felt empowered or entitled to do that is he's standing on the mountaintop. Jesus has just said, you got it going, boy. He's feeling the pat on the back and he's going to flex his muscles a little bit. And he says, you know what? Jesus, you're wrong. And he rebukes Christ. But Jesus. Jesus sees this. And Jesus understands that Peter just doesn't get it. That Peter's, he understands this, that Peter's greatest goals and his highest values were in the wrong place. He had misguided goals and values. That he was primarily focused on who he would be in this world. And on what he would get in this life. So in one statement, Jesus knocks Peter off the mountaintop. And he goes crashing right into the valley of life. He makes one of those dramatic turns. That's exactly what the story says. It was like the phone call that we got driving down the thing that all of a sudden life stopped. Because Jesus listens to Peter's rebuke. And I think it happened like this then. And Jesus looks him square in the eye and says maybe the harshest thing Jesus ever said in his entire life. Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests. You're not looking at things God's way is what he's saying it. You're setting your heart on man's interests. On your own interests. And in an instant, Peter's life takes a dramatic turn from being a superstar, patted on the back by the Messiah, to being called Satan by the Messiah. Think of that, think of that transaction that took place. From being praised by the Messiah one minute to being called the devil, Satan, by the Messiah the very next. And I can't even imagine what Peter must have felt like. I have, to, I have to think it must have felt like being punched right in the gut from Jesus. All the wind taken out of his sails. Looking at himself and saying, I'm Satan. 
See, Jesus was with this laser-like precision, penetrating right to Peter's heart and revealing his true motives. He was challenging the why Peter was actually following after him. And most importantly, he was wanting Peter himself to look inside of his life, inside of himself, and discover his real motives for who he was and what he was doing and why he was following after Jesus. And in fact, he wanted him to see that his values were more derived from Satan than they were from God. That his values actually stood opposed to the plan of God for the redemption of the world. Because for mankind to be redeemed, the Messiah had to suffer. And he says, your goals stand opposed to my plan. Jesus points out to Peter that in reality, he was living for what he could get out of this life instead of caring about his eternity. And Jesus wanted him to know, you know, if you're going to follow me, Peter... It's going to cost you just like it's going to cost me. He said, I'm going to the cross, Peter. I'm going to suffer, and my followers will suffer also in this life. Jesus wants him to know that it requires giving up of your own plans and your own goals to follow after Jesus. But he says, but if you'll do that, Peter, he says, it's then that you'll really find life. That's what he said in the text. If you will give it up, if you'll die to yourself, then you will really find life. That the greatest existence is a life following Jesus with a focus on eternity and the joy and the contentment that God gives as a result. So what's Jesus do? To clarify. He asks him two questions. And they are the questions that the turns of life should lead us to ask ourselves today. Look at verses 36 and 37. These are the questions. You want to underline something in your Bible that, that is designed to change the trajectory of your life. Verses 36 and verses 37 of chapter 8. Jesus asks the most important questions to the crowd, but he's really addressing Peter. He says, for Peter, crowd, you and me, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it gain, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, everything the world has to offer? Rise to influence and power. Have all the money, have the business, have everything. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and give up, forfeit his soul? And then he kind of restates it in a different way. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? These two questions are seeking to get us to come to the same same answer. That what happens with your eternal soul is really all that matters in life. And that other pursuits can actually endanger our eternal outcome. He says to Peter, even the pursuit of rising to position and power and prominence with me, the Messiah, doing it for the wrong motive can lead to the wrong outcome. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus wanted Peter to understand that if his life was focused on gaining the things of the world, prosperity and position and power, that he could get those things. It's, it's attainable. But he could also give up his soul in the process. That's what he wanted him to get. Same thing he wants us to get. We can attain all that stuff, but we can lose our soul in the process. Friends, this may be the most sobering statement that Jesus has ever made in all the Gospels. 
because he makes the statement to Peter. Think of that. He makes this statement. He's been walking with Peter for three years. Peter's given up everything. He makes this statement to the apostle Peter. He's not saying it to some God-hating bum on the street. He says it to Peter. The one who grasped the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. The one who left his fishing business and followed Jesus every day of his life. And Jesus asks Peter, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In other words, even you, Peter, can live your life with wrong goals, even though they look good to everybody else, and forfeit your soul in the process. That's sobering. We pray this morning in our pre-service prayer that those who walked with us the longest would listen to this the most, the most firmly. That would have the most impact. Because you know, church, Jesus is still asking these questions today. What does it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? What will you give in exchange for your soul is still written to you and me in this text today. Think of all the stuff we work so hard to gain. Right now, think of it. Think of all the stuff we work so hard to gain. All the things and all the activities. And the question we ask ourselves, the same question Peter had to ask himself, are we putting them ahead of our soul? Are we putting those things ahead of our soul? You know, if God calls us to sacrifice... Do we rebuke him like Peter did? Hey Jesus, serving you is to be easy and prosperous. Pastor, Pastor Bruce prays for it every week. He tells us stories. It is, right? God wants to bless his children. It's true. Serving you, Jesus, ought to be easy and prosperous. None of this carrying my cross kind of stuff. I want to reign with the king, not suffer with him as I follow him. Well, understand something, church. God does want to bless His children. He does. We're the children of God. He wants to bless His children. There is absolutely nothing wrong with prosperity or position or power. Matter of fact, God will use those things for His glory through His people. However, here's what we've got to understand. The life given to the pursuit of those things at the expense of your relationship with the Lord can cost a person their soul. That's why this is so sobering. Jesus knocked Peter off the mountaintop that day for a reason. So that Peter would evaluate his life, understand where he was wrong, and make a course correction. It was all because of grace. It was all because of light, of love. He wanted Peter to get it. He's he basically saying this, Peter, we're at the end of our time together. I'm plainly telling you, this is what's going to happen in the next couple days. And your answer reveals you still don't get it, Peter. You've walked with me a long time, and he says that to you and me. He says, do you really get it? Do I really get it? Do you really get it? And God at times will knock you right off the mountaintop to get you to evaluate and say, what am I really pursuing after? Am I... Am I giving up the most important to gain the less important in life? Out of love and grace, he caused Peter to do a course correction. Because understand something, Jesus knew the future. 
he understood that he, Peter was going to be the, the primary leader. The primary leader of the church. And if he was going to do something great for him, through him, Peter had to get things straightened out in his spirit. You know what, I'll say this. If you don't want to have God really do anything in your life, don't pay attention to what I'm saying. If you don't really care, go on business as usual. But, but Peter didn't want that. I don't think you do either. Peter wanted to go up. He wanted to walk with, he wanted to reign with Christ for the sake of the kingdom. But Jesus pointed out his motives weren't really right. So out of love, he took this, this, this son, this child of his, and he knocked him right off the mountaintop so that Peter could make a course correction. And friends, that's what he's doing today for us. Do we need to make a course correction? I stood in a sanctuary last night, and every Saturday I come and I review what's going to go on, and I pray, and I felt directed to the Lord a very odd prayer. I don't know if I've ever prayed it this way before. But the Lord to pray for all of you and me, that God would crush us. That God would crush us like he crushed Peter. You know how you make perfume? I thought of this last night. You take flowers and petals and all this different stuff, and they crush it, and the oil comes out, and something beautiful comes out of the crushing. I prayed God crush us as, as individuals, crush us as a church, so something better can come out of us. Give us the same gift you gave Peter, we're walking along our path, and we'll actually ask ourselves the hard question, maybe for the first time in years and years and years, because we've been walking by instinct. See, Peter wouldn't have come to the conclusion if he didn't have an encounter with God, with Christ. Jesus was the one who had to knock him off the mountaintop. And I said, God, please knock us off the mountaintop. Start with me. Knock me off the mountaintop if I need to do that in order to see if my motives are wrong so that I can make a course correction and you can make a course correction in your life. Friends, do you need to line up for the first time or maybe realign with God's eternal values and goals in a, as a course correction today? rather than the goals of the world where we just add Jesus on the side of it. That's what Peter had done. He was walking right with them, but, but Jesus gets to the heart of the matter and says, but you don't, you're not really. I just want us to ask ourselves, am I trying to gain the world, all the stuff that comes along with it? Not necessarily bad stuff. Matter of fact, it can be good stuff. Am I trying to gain the world at the expense of my relationship with Jesus. And I would just tell you this as a closing comment. It's not a trade worth making. One lasts that long. And one lasts farther than it can go that way and farther than it can go that way. It's called eternity. Peter was grateful that God knocked him off the mountain. He celebrated the fact and he became the great leader of the church. The great leader to the Jews was Peter. This fisherman that God loved so much that he knocked him off the mountaintop and said, you need a course correction. I hope we, not one of us will walk out of here with at least asking the question of ourself. Every one of us, especially those who have walked with God for a period of time, do I need a course correction? Because that's what, here's what happens in our, in our sermon in the, as, as we do this as a church. This is why it's so important for you to be to church week after week after week. It's why God said when he took ten things of the entire world and made ten commandments, one of them was get together every single week and worship me. It's because God has a corporateness he's doing in the body of Christ. And what happens is when I pray, I, God just speaks to me about this stuff, about saying, Mark, you're Peter. 
And he breaks my heart and he says, you're Peter. And then he says, and there's Peters all over the place. He wants to give us a course correction because he loves us. It's not, that's not a fun, easy message to preach, but I'm so glad that he loves us enough to do it. All we did was take God's word and just look at it today, right? No adding a whole lot to it, just looking at the story. Let's let the story transform us as we open up our hearts to the Spirit of God. Could you stand with me this morning?